Good morning, Arbor Church. Thank you for being here today. If you're a first-time visitor, we're thrilled that you're here with us. We truly want to get to know you. Thank you for being here with us today. As Jake shared, my name is Scott Hetherington. Um, second time, I think, that I'm speaking here. Jake's brave enough to let me do that, and I appreciate that. Jake and I do go way back. He's a great friend, and um, I appreciate his role in my life um, over the years. Jake did a great job last week of opening up this series on God's will and sharing the story of his father, Mr. Miyagi, telling him how to solve all the world's problems by just going to buy a puzzle. I'm hoping that the next time my child comes to me with some sound advice, I can look at them and say, well, you need to go buy a puzzle, put it together, all right, and then come talk to me. But I love that story because it truly was profound for Jake and it helped him through a time in his life to figure out where God wanted him to go. And Jake did a great job of explaining the providential will of God, God doing what he's going to do anyway with or without us, the moral will of God, the moral boundaries in the scripture and in the relationship with Christ that he puts around us, and that those are all those straight-edged pieces of the puzzle that form a framework for us to operate in the personal will of God. The personal will of God being all those jumbled pieces in the middle. And if you've ever done a puzzle, you might have different strategies. Of Most everybody gets that border first, and then you've got all these jumbled pieces, and maybe you separate them by certain color tones, or maybe you separate them by a different sin, you know, little symbol or a sign or something in there that's correlating to a picture. And I highly recommend having a picture when you're doing a puzzle. All right, don't try to go Jake on us and do it you know, with no picture. That makes it difficult. Yet it's another great illustration of oftentimes that's what God's will feels like to us. This jumbled pieces, and while we can figure out the borders, the providential and moral will of God makes sense and are clear to us, there's all this confusion on the table of these other pieces and how they go together, that personal will of God. And oftentimes we're trying to do that without a picture. But I'm here to tell you that God's got a way for us to understand that picture a little bit better outside of ourselves, for us to hear and understand the will of God. I'm going to talk to you today about what we call wise counsel. And wise counsel in our lives can serve as that picture to help us put some of those pieces together. Now, Jake's going to follow up next week about hearing from God directly. Today, I'm talking about how God uses and places other people in our lives for us to make decisions. Because oftentimes, we have decisions that we can't sit and ponder on for very long. A job offer has been given to us, and there's a timeline. You're in a relationship, and you're really trying to make a decision, and if you go any longer, you don't know, and you've got to make a decision. There's an illness, and a decision has to be made. You've got things in your life that come up that you've got to make decisions, and oftentimes, the way most of us have navigated that is by relying on our own experience, our own knowledge, and our own opinion. And while that can serve us well at times, for what I have learned from my own life, that isn't always the best counsel, the counsel of one, myself. I have found that often in discerning God's will for my life, it's through the counsel of other people that I have entrusted in my life that God can speak through them or God can use them to reveal more clearly to me what his will is for me. 
When I was a kid growing up in Idaho Falls, we lived out in the country, and I had this sweet little BMX bike, a diamondback BMX bike. Anybody were BMX riders when you were kids or anything out there? And my friend lived about three miles down the road on this farm, and on the back of his farm was this really steep hill, about 30, 40 yards long, and it went out into this field. And we had this great idea one day that we would build a ramp at the end of the hill and do jumps into this straw pile that we had built. And this is before X Games, so we didn't understand the physics of jumps and how to angle them and where to place them because all our jumps had been on the flat road where you just pedal real fast, build a jump and go off of it and jump over, you know, two milk crates and you're happy. Well, this day at the bottom of the hill, we constructed this very large steep ramp and it looked like the hill here and the ramp here. (laughs) See, you're already further along than I was as an 11-year-old. And there was nobody out there at that time that had what I would call wise counsel on the physics of this dynamic. There was simply me and four of my other friends at the top of the hill going, this is going to be awesome. (laughs) And this is, you know, we're at the top and they're like, well, who's got the job of going first? Well, I was always the idiot that was willing to go first. I'm like, I'll go. And this is before we did things safely, you know, goat carts with no brakes, you know, football with no pads. And we had no helmet, no elbow pads, no knee beds, just us on our bike, all right? And the, 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 the legendary status of me going off that jump, doing a 360 and landing it and just being a hero. So I started down that hill, furiously pedaling as fast as I can, getting closer and closer to that ramp. And all I remember is hitting the ramp. That's the last thing I remember, hitting the ramp. Then waking up on a straw pile, and I got all these heads standing around me looking down at me, and they're saying all the same thing. That was awesome. <laughs> I go, well, what was so awesome? Your bike just like stuck right in the ramp, and you stopped, and you went flying over the handlebars and skidded on your head and like fell down. Are you okay? I'm like, I think so. Now, That head injury and others after it probably have lent itself to where I am and how I think and operate at times. But that is an example of where at that moment, if there had been somebody at the top of that hill to lend some wise counsel, maybe, just maybe, we would have made a better choice. We would have learned from the experience and wisdom of somebody else about the will, our desire to go do something that didn't have the results that we were looking for. And through that silly analogy, I use that because we're going to talk today about wise counsel and what that looks like and why do we need wise counsel. I'll be sharing some of my story and how I got wise counsel points in my life where there's confusion. We're going to look at a story in the scripture about a king that didn't necessarily follow the wise counsel that was given him. But if you don't mind, I just want to pray real quick. God, I pray that you would go before me today, God. I pray that you would use me that you would speak through me, God. I pray that you would give us ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen, and then hands and feet that want to apply what we've learned today, God. We thank you, Lord, for your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. There's some key principles about wise counsel I want to share with you right up front, all right? One of them is found in Proverbs 19.20. It's seeking wise counsel is gaining wisdom. Our first principle of why we want wise counsel or why we get wise counsel is Seeking wise counsel is gaining wisdom. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction, that you may gain wisdom in the future. Listen to advice and instruction. Part of the wise counsel we're talking about is instruction about what maybe we can do or not do. 
Part of what I'm going to share in my life is this crossroads that I was in after a divorce, trying to figure out what I do and the counsel I got in that. The next principle we need to remember today is choosing wise counsel is critical. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but many advisors, they succeed. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. The idea of choosing wise counsel being critical is because, again, if you in isolation try to make decisions, you may hit some good decisions, but over time, you in isolation, the enemy is going to have an easier target. Isolation is not what we were built for. God built us for relationship, first and foremost with him. Secondly, with a body of believers that we can rely on and go through life with. We are built for relationship, and if we're built that way, there's the counsel of others in our lives that can help guide us, and it's critical for us in going forward and making decisions. The last key principle is hearing wise counsel requires humility. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Hearing wise counsel requires humility. You've got to move beyond yourself and say, I'm willing to hear what I need to hear. I'm willing to listen to others. I've messed things up, or I don't know what to do in this situation. It's the old analogy of, you know, I guess men don't like to pull over and ask for directions because I don't know why, but I've never been that way because I just want to get to where I'm going, (laughs) all right? So the idea that we're afraid to ask sometimes because we don't want to be vulnerable, we don't want to be open, but that requires humility to go seek wise counsel. Those are some three principles that we're going to build on today. If you got your Bibles, please open with me to 1 Kings chapter 12. We're going to read a story about a king named Rehoboam. Some quick history. The kings of Israel. Saul was the first king of Israel, basically chosen by the people. Saul didn't do a very good job. God chose David to become the second king. David served as king, had some turbulence and bad decisions in his reign, but in the end, God called him a man after my own heart and made promises to David about the kingdom. David's son Solomon became the third king, and he's the king that God came to and said, Solomon, you can have whatever you want, and Solomon asked for wisdom. Solomon later did not live in the moral will of God later in his life. And because of his moral failures, God came along and said, Solomon, after you are gone, I'm going to divide the kingdom. I will honor my promise to David to keep it together with you, but after you, it will be divided. He then went to a prophet who told Jeroboam that you will someday become king for part of the kingdom. Solomon passed away, and his son Rehoboam was set to become the fourth king of Israel. When Solomon had heard about Jeroboam before he died becoming king, he sought out to kill Jeroboam to make it not happen. Jeroboam fled to hidden Egypt. So now the timeline is Solomon's dead. Jeroboam, who had this prophecy about somehow becoming king of part of Israel, hiding in Egypt, Rehoboam is now ready to become king and take the throne. So that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings 12, and I'm going to try to do a better job of reading up here with my bad eyes and these small words. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt when he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they went, so they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, 
Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father, Solomon, during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? What do you want me to do? They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Pause. Right there, Rehoboam was already putting into practice some of the principles we had talked about. All right? He was seeking out advice from others to gain some wisdom on what to do. He chose some wise counsel, the elders. I think he had some humility in here for a moment to listen to the wise elders. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Put a little bookmark in your mind on that verse right there. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father, your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on you, but make your yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said. Come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to him by his elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. That's a very interesting story. And you may sit there and go, well, that was dumb. He's so stupid. But are we that far removed from Rehoboam? Only our pride helps us think that we wouldn't have done that. We would have listened to that wise counsel. But do we consistently? So when you look at stories in scripture and we look at something like that, we're like, well, how does that apply to me? What can I learn from this about God using wise people in my life for me to hear more clearly and gain understanding of his will for my life. And doing it in a way, all right, that is fruitful, that will produce what it is God is wanting me to do. Well, it's not an easy thing to do. And I tell you right now, I stand here today letting you know I am no expert in this. I have made many decisions in isolation. Some worked out okay, all right? Some didn't. I should not have eaten that sausage pizza, all right? I have made some big decisions on my own that crashed and burned. I've made some bigger ones that worked out pretty well. But I can tell you consistently in humility today that I have learned more often than not, I need other people in my life to help me make critical decisions. And sometimes we're in a position where we've got to make a decision quicker than longer. And it's in those moments that we need people in our lives we can go to and talk to. Rehoboam did that. He went to the wise elders. He then went to his friends. So in this lesson, we're going to have a little talk and figure out what does this look like. I'll share with you for me. Many of you know from the last time I spoke here that I'm a principal in Bellevue School District. Before that, I had taught for nine years in Montana as a teacher and a football coach. In 2000, I left teaching and came out here to be a youth pastor at Antioch Bible Church. 
I was there for eight years as a youth pastor. In 2008, I left, had a marriage that was failing, ended up in divorce, and I basically was out of ministry. I picked up a job at Costco for the insurance to support my family and went back to pound and nails and do what I could to make a living and tried to start a couple nonprofits because I was sure in my life that leaving ministry, my next step was to take my skill set and go into starting these two nonprofits, one around wilderness therapy, the other around graduation success for students, taking at-risk youth and keeping them in school through a nonprofit called Smart Turn, the other one called The Edge Effect. What I found out about nonprofits is that it's a lot of fundraising, a lot of money getting, a lot of going after things, and very little doing what my gifting was, which was inspiring youth and connecting and helping families. To support that, I thought, oh, I got this wise idea. I'll go into real estate, and I'll make money in real estate to help fund this endeavor. And I entered the real estate market right about 2008. Yeah, see, you're, once again, I'm at the top of that hill looking down at that ramp. And my actions in life were just go. Dude, just go. You'll figure it out as you go along. Well, by, 2000, by the end of 2009, I was broke. I'd lost a little that I had in the real estate market, all right? Divorce was finalized. The nonprofit funding, within about a six-month span, we had had a promise of about a million dollars, and we lost 845000 of that in about a three-month span because the economy crashed. And I'm sitting there at this crossroads in my life going, do I continue to push forward with my dreams and what I believe I'm supposed to do with this nonprofit, or do I choose a different path? And I really felt stuck. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't feel I was hearing from God. No voice was telling me what to do. And I felt confused. And so it was then, what I should have done at the top of that hill as an 11-year-old, I decided to go seek out some wise counsel. And when I went to seek wise counsel, I tried to seek out some particular types of people that had certain characteristics, much like Rehoboam did here at the beginning. I knew that within my own self and skill set, I needed to seek out some advice that was bigger than just me. So I went to some people in my life that I knew had knowledge and wisdom of not just the scriptures, but of me. They had the knowledge and wisdom of God in their life that I could trust. They knew my story. They had known my pain. They had known my journey. They knew me as an individual and their knowledge and wisdom of God combined together. Because not just knowing about God, but their wisdom in their life showed me they knew how to apply that knowledge of God to their own life. Rehoboam did that when he went to the elders. They had knowledge and wisdom. They had the knowledge and history of his father, but the wisdom of the mistakes Solomon had made to tell him you should be a servant leader and give grace and mercy. But when he went to those friends, the young friends who had positions of authority because of him, they had knowledge but not wisdom. And they said, oh no, you need to be a powerful king. You put it on them harder. So when I was in that position for me looking for somebody, I wanted to find people in my life that got to put in my life that had that knowledge and wisdom combined to give me advice. I then began to look for people that had experience and discernment. One of the things I was considering is, do I get back into education? See, I left education because I was disappointed in it because I felt I couldn't do everything I wanted to as an educator that got to put in my heart 
as a pastor. And so to go back into ministry, go back into education felt like a backward step for me. It didn't feel like the American part of moving forward in succession. I felt like I was going back. But those that I met with experience and discernment who had been in education and become administrators were able to share with me some of their experience and the discernment of, Scott, your gifting, the way you work with children, the way you can lead adults, the way you manage and operate fits perfectly with being a principal. You can do that. It's not an either or. It can be a both and. See, Rehoboam didn't ask for experience and discernment from his young men. He got that from the elders. Their experience with Solomon created a discernment in them to go, we've had enough harshness. The people now need grace and mercy, a servant leader. The young men had the experience of Solomon, but not the discernment. And you've got to have people in your life that have both that, knowledge and wisdom, experience and discernment to look at you and say, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I see, to help project you forward in some of your thinking, because you can only see the trees in front of you, and they help rise you above that to get a better lay of the land. The last characteristic I was looking for in people was truthfulness and integrity. Truthfulness and integrity. I needed people in my life that would tell me the hard truths I needed to hear. And they were truthful because they spoke honestly. But their lives lined up with what they spoke. Their intentions were honorable. And I knew this about them because their godliness was not only spoken about, it was lived. One of my favorite poems is called, I'd Rather See a Sermon Than Hear One Any Day. It's in my journal at the front of them. I love it. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And so I chose people that had the truthfulness by what they said, but the integrity of their life that backed it up according to the scriptures of God. See, the wise men that told Rehoboam served the people. They were speaking a hard truth that Rehoboam didn't want to hear because he had this perception of what it was to be a king from his father, harsh, strong. You're here, people here. You need to show them strength. But they spoke the hard truth and they had the integrity that their motives were pure because they wanted the kingdom to stay unified moving forward. They weren't saying it for their own good. They were saying it for the good of Rehoboam and the people. Rehoboam's friends may have spoke their truth. Oh, no, you need to be harsh and a king from their perception. But their integrity was, I think, we're protecting ourselves. Because as long as Rehoboam's king, what do I benefit now as his friend for a position of authority in this kingdom? Knowledge and wisdom, experience and discernment, truthfulness and integrity. I consider those key principles in making decisions. Rehoboam did, but he didn't connect the both of them all together, and he ended up making a very unwise decision. The kingdom was divided. He kept Judah and some of the other smaller tribes. Jeroboam got Israel, the other tribes. I can remember sitting there pushing carts at Costco with a good friend of mine named Stefan. He had actually been, all right, one of the leaders in my youth groups. Great guy. 
Ironically, he was working at Costco for extra money because he was in the mortgage business. He laughed too when I told him my plans to go into real estate. But I remembered on those days we'd be out there pushing carts and working together. He would look at me and he says, you know you're made for more than this. Don't forget you're made for more than this. Because I've seen what you do in people's lives. I've seen how you work with kids. He goes, don't lose that compass, Scott. Don't lose that true north. He was a wise counsel in my life that knew my story, that knew my heart, and he could speak that truth into me. I had other friends in my life that came alongside of me and gave me counsel and wisdom and advice. Because I knew in that moment, I was in such a place where I just wasn't hearing anything. I needed to hear from others that I trusted. And then I'm left with a choice. Is what I'm hearing from them aligning with what I believe God's will is? My principal at the time, Danny Rock, that I was working for, called me into his office one day after school and said, I want you to apply to the UW to be a principal. I'm like, well, why is that? He goes, because I see you working with our staff and our students. He goes, I believe you have the skill set to be a principal. I said, tell me more about that. What does the principal thing look like? I'm kind of, I mean, and he goes, Scott, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. He goes, and in this role as a principal, I feel I can use all that gifting to support families and help children that are truly in need. Because this is a public school. We take them all and we help them all. He goes, I see that same ability to be able to do that with you. You need to try for this. That was someone who experienced and discernment spoke to me. So I enrolled in college, worked my way through it. Eventually, God led to me getting a job offer, not as a principal, as a PE teacher. Remember, my whole thing was I left PE teaching to become a youth pastor, and then I was going to progress forward into a nonprofit, run my own nonprofit, and be my own boss. And now I'm going all the way back to being a PE teacher. So again, I was like talking to my friends and this group of wise counsel people that I had about, do I take this? No one's offered me a principal job. See, I shouldn't have gone to college to be a principal. I should. They said, stop. Stop. And they gave me wisdom. They gave me advice. They talked to me about just because this could be a step into the door. Remember, it requires humility. So I took that job as a PE teacher at Clyde Hill Elementary. Four months later, I was moved to Dean of Students at Stevenson Elementary. A year and a half later, I was moved to assistant principal back at Clyde Hill. Two years later, I was moved to principal at Spirit Ridge. Advice, wise counsel from men and women in my life that guided me. Rehoboam had that wisdom in his life. He foolishly went with what his own voice wanted to hear and those who supported his own voice. So how does this apply to our life? How do we not be a Rehoboam? What is the practicality of wise counsel in going to people? Who do we even know how to ask? What do I ask them? What do I do? So me being the person, the teacher, that I can't stand up here and preach at you a concept, a, a principle of the scripture of seeking wise counsel to understand God's will as one avenue of God speaking. In fact, I think it's one of the biggest avenues that God speaks to us and we avoid it because we don't want to be vulnerable and open about our own confusion and frustrations and weaknesses. How do we do that? I need to give you the practicality of it as a teacher. 
So I'm going to try to break down some simple things here. And this is just, this is not my own wisdom. This is wisdom I garnered and stole from other people much wiser than me in the effort to seek, all right, wise counsel. So the first one is choosing wise counsel. How do we choose people? Well, like I shared, Rehoboam, he went to the elders, all right? For me in my life, I went to believers who knew my story. I say that purposely, believers who knew my story. It's not that I haven't sought counsel from non-believers before, but in this point, I wanted to know what is God trying to say to me, and I wanted believers in my life that knew me and that lived a life of integrity with Christ because I believe they heard from God, I believe they were close to God, and they would speak honestly into my life. So I went to people that knew me. Rehoboam went to the elders. They had watched him grow up. They had watched his father serve. They knew his entire family. They knew Rehoboam's story. Who else do we choose? What's another thing? People who are where you want to be in life. Too often we try to make decisions with people right next to us who haven't accomplished what it is we're trying to accomplish. So when I was trying to decide if I should be a principal, I should probably go talk to principals. Not teachers, not people that weren't in education. I needed to go talk to some principals who had accomplished what it is I was looking at doing, and I did that. And I got affirmed over and over again that what they shared through their stories and experiences aligned with what I felt God had put in my heart to be as a person. Well, yes, I could do that through nonprofit work and all that. It wasn't the season that God was wanting me to do that. And I heard that from talking to people who have gotten where we want to be. If you're in financial trouble, too often we sit down with people that are just as in much financial trouble with us and share our woes and we talk about what we should do and neither one of us are adequately provided to talk to somebody that is financially further down the road who can lend us the advice that would actually help us. Marital problems, all right? Men sit around and talk about it. Women sit around and talk about it. But are we talking to people that have accomplished a marriage that we can admire in a godly way to strive after and get advice and counsel from them. That is how God speaks to us through wise counsel. Someone who has nothing to lose in telling you the truth. See, the elders had nothing to lose in their minds. The young men did. When I was doing the real estate thing, trust me, all the people around me in real estate kept telling me the same thing. Just stick with it. Write it out. The recession will go away. Write it out. Stick with it. So I did. Far longer than I should have because you know what? I didn't have the collateral and the banking and the investment behind me to support me through a recession. Heck, I was a youth pastor. We don't have a savings account. That's a bad joke. We do. All right? But you get the point. That advice for people in the real estate market around me were people that had hundreds of thousands of dollars to ride through the recession, but it washed a lot of people out too, like me. Whereas when I listened to people that didn't have that part of my interest, they were like, we want what's best for you and what we see is your gifting. I got different advice because I sought wise counsel from people that weren't just hearing from themselves, they're hearing from God, they were listening to God, they were praying and beseeching on my behalf in prayer for wisdom. And the last one about who do you choose? Choose more than one or two people. Because you will gain insight from multiple perspectives. And while even some perspectives, my real estate example versus my other friend's example, may not have aligned with each one of them, it gave me multiple perspectives to understand and hear. Too often we only ask people that 
are close to us and we know rather than stepping out of that comfort zone to talk to somebody maybe they, they recommend. Or somebody we don't know but we see is further down than us. I went and met with a principal that didn't know me. I just had heard about him. He was principal of the year. So I called him up, set an appointment, bugged him for two weeks, showed up and talked to him. Because I wanted to hear from somebody that had a different perspective and nothing connected to me of what it meant to be a principal. So what do you ask these people when you meet with them? First and foremost, you need to clarify with them and have them clarify, is anything I'm wanting to do outside the confines of Scripture? Anything against Scripture? Do you see anything in my life that I'm operating in a way that you need to course correct morally, spiritually? That's the first thing you need to hear from others because oftentimes we won't see that in ourselves. Next thing we need to ask them is, what do you think is the wise thing for me to do? Not just the right thing, but the wise thing. So when you combine those two questions, is there anything morally in my life that you see I need to correct? Do you have people brave enough in your life to talk to you about that? That know you well enough to give you that counsel? And to tell you what the wise thing is to do, not just the right thing, easy thing, but the wise thing. See, I knew that if I was going to go back into education, go back to get my principal degree, that's a lot of money. It's another investment. I had a fear of going back into debt. I resisted it. I didn't want to do that. But the wise counsel I got of a short-term debt, large benefit of principal offsetting, I had to weigh that. I got advice on both sides. But people gave me wise advice, not just what they think the right thing to do is. Then I asked them this, what would you do in this situation? Because oftentimes they have a story you never heard of that can connect, and through that story, God can speak to you. It might not be their advice, it just might be their story. All right? I have a friend named Dave Nelson that loves to tell a story, and he tells stories sometimes. In the middle of him telling a story, I gain a nugget. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's it. He goes, what did I say? How many of you have been in a situation where someone's sharing their story, and you're like, that's it? That's it right there. Well, if we don't ask people what would you do and they try to connect their own story, we might miss something. I also asked people, is there anybody else you think I should go talk to that maybe I don't know? There's an unbiased approach. They don't know my full story, but they know what I'm trying to do. They might give me a perspective I hadn't thought of. Last but not least is, how do you hear the wise counsel in your life? Because let me tell you, as a parent, I consider myself wise counsel to my children. Now, I said I consider myself wise counsel to my children. They may not consider that at times. Because if, you're, if you've been a parent of teenagers, one of the funniest, most frustrating things in your life is when your child comes home and shares with you the wisdom they heard from a teacher or a coach or somebody else, and you're scratching your head going, I've been saying that for the last two years. Because a lot of times, we may have wise counsel in our lives, we're just not hearing it. We're not hearing it because of the cacophony of the circumstances around us. And we let our circumstances overwhelm us and drown out right, what we should be hearing. That was my life. I was destroyed emotionally from a divorce. I was financially broke and felt like a failure to my kids. I was directionless on a job in which direction I should go. And while I had a lot of people in my life, I wasn't in a place where I was listening to their counsel until I put myself intentionally in that and became humble to listen. 
So here's some things about hearing wise counsel. One, first of all, pray for guidance from God. That when, I, when people speak to me, God, please let me listen. Now, I'm not, not going to put the pressure on. I'm not going to go to Jake and say, Jake, I need your advice, and I fully expect for you to tell me you're hearing directly from God as to what I'm supposed to do. That's a lot of pressure on Jake. No, I need to be about me. God, when I talk to Jake today, please let me hear. Let me be humble enough to hear and listen as to what Jake is saying. Help me hear what you're trying to say through Jake. Next thing on hearing wise counsel is be ready to hear what you don't want to hear because God's got a great sense of humor that way. Because if you're not listening to him, he's going to let somebody else tell you. And it may not be what you want to hear. And that's that humility. You've got to be vulnerable and open to hear what you don't want to hear. And the last one is very simple and very practical. Listen more and talk less. One thing Rehoboam did right in his story, he said, give me three days. Now, I don't know what the exchange was like when he was talking to the wise elders and when he was talking to the unwise young friends. I don't know if there was a give give and go and if he wasn't real listening, but I know for me, I tend to talk way too much, give excuses, give explanations, and I really just need to listen. One of the things I've learned in this job as a principal is the power of listening and just stopping and respecting the silence and letting other voices speak into my life. Because it's through those voices that more often than not, God will provide clarity and understanding as to the will in my personal choices. Because the personal will of God is meant to be a mystery to us. It's not meant to be some puzzle scattered on the table with no picture and we can't figure it out. Jesus is the picture. He provides people in our lives to give us wise counsel. So I obviously made the choice to walk away from the nonprofits, and that was not easy because I had people that believed in that and wanted to do it and still want to do it to this day. I walked away from my losses in real estate, and I walked into education, back into something I felt I was never supposed to go back to in the first place. And let me tell you now, eight years later, as a principal, God is using me just as much every day at an elementary school in Bellevue than he did as a youth pastor, than he did as a young life director, than he did as a Bible camp director. All things where God's name was directly attached to the role. Are you following me? So it really felt like God's will was that. And I'm now in a position as a public school principal where parents have asked me in the office to pray for them. Where I no longer feel like I have to withhold what my faith is, but I share with families, I'll be praying about that for you if you're okay with that. Really, yes, thank you, I'd appreciate that. Where my faith comes out with the children that I work with. And while I'm not proselytizing on campus, what they're seeing is a sermon every day in the way that I lead and work and serve them as a leader. I would have missed out on the joy and the privilege and the beauty of being a public school principal. The light of Jesus Christ 
in a world that needs light. I would have missed out on that if I had listened to my own isolated, stuck advice. I went to wise people in my life. God gave me wisdom. The band can start coming up that I didn't have in the moment on my own. I want to leave you with this verse, Proverbs 18, 1 through 2. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I should have this verse tattooed on me somewhere. Because this was me for a long time. And the enemy still drags me back into this place at times. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. I was broken. I felt God was disappointed in me. I felt a failure. So I moved away from the faith. And I isolated myself, my own desire of providing financially for my family. I broke out against the sound judgment that echoed inside of me every day. This isn't your direction. This isn't your calling. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. I didn't seek to understand. I was angry. I was hurt. But only expressing his opinion. And my opinion was, I failed God. My opinion was, he's done with me. My opinion was, I need to do this over here. God may have felt he wasn't getting through to me directly, so he used the wise counsel that he sought out in my life to give me the advice, the love, the voice, the truth I needed to hear. I'm telling you, friends, you're not in this alone. You've got a God that loves you, a God that wants to tell you what he wants to do with your life, and he's got people around you that can do that. Go to the wise people in your life and seek counsel, and it'll give you clarity of the will of God. Let's pray, and as I'm praying, I'd like the ushers to come up and take an offering. If you're visiting with us today, we ask you not to give. The only thing we want you to consider giving is your heart to Christ if you haven't done that. That's our biggest gift from you today.